This is Poured Over, a show about stories presented by the booksellers of Barnes & Noble. Hi everyone, I'm Allison, a bookseller with Barnes & Noble. I'm here today talking to the wonderfully talented Margot Price, whose new album Strays is out now, and you can get your exclusive baby pink vinyl at our stores. And her book, Maybe We'll Make It, is also available as well. Margot, hi, thank you for being here. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm super, super excited to talk to you. I've been listening to your album on repeat. I'm digging it. I love it. So I'm very thrilled to chat with you today. Thank you so much. Been to the Mountain is the first song on your new album, Strays. It's a very strong anthem. And I feel the emotion coming through this song. I'm here for it. I've been blasting it, having a dance party to it. Um, I love it. And I think that this album seems a bit more grown up in a way. Um, and it's coming from almost a very deeply personal place. Well, I definitely feel like I'm growing up. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, it's it is uh, it's coming from a place of reflection. It's coming from finally being really proud uh, just to to own my truth and and to own my story, the good parts and the bad. Yeah, it's it's reflecting on the past, but it's not dwelling there. It's very much in the present. I really like it. Do you have any musical anthems that pump you up? <laughs> I think I have a few in my back pocket, but what do you put on to dance around to? Oh, for sure. Um, actually, we've been we've been covering Elvis Costello's song. It's called Pump It Up. Uh, that's a pretty fun one to uh, blast out. I've been playing that on tour behind the drum kit and and singing it at the same time. You know, I I love hearing that people are dancing and, and and getting psyched up to my songs because I definitely you know turn on records with my kids and that's that's one of my favorite things to do. Really, is the, the Patti Smith's uh, album Horses. I just finally got that on vinyl. I couldn't believe that I didn't have it it sooner, but. Um, Definitely putting on Gloria and exercising yeah. demons is is fun. <laughs> that's such a good way to put it, exercising demons. Yeah, that's kind of what I feel like when I put, like there's those songs that you just, oh yeah, everything else drowns out. So let's just start at the beginning. Can you tell us a little bit about how you came to play music? Is your family musical? So my family is not the most musical. I mean, I have my great uncle, he's a songwriter and you know, he, he played music, but my parents, like they didn't know how to play an instrument. Um, they never, you know, had the money to, to have those kinds of opportunities. And so they wanted to make sure that, that I did when I kind of showed, um, my interest in, in music, it was there from the start. I, I loved singing along to, you know, songs that I found on the radio or they had, my parents got me a little record player when I was young. And so I was always dancing around and, um, and then, yeah, they put me in piano lessons and that was kind of the start of it was, was sitting down at the, at the piano and, and figuring it out there. But very quickly, I thought that a piano would be a little too hard to drag around at gigs. So I went out and I, I got my first guitar when I was um, in eighth grade and and taught myself to play. You play a few different instruments. Um, do you have a favorite one? Do you feel connected to a different one? You play piano, guitar, and um, drums, right? Yes, I do. I have uh, actually my drum kits right over here. One of them, it's uh, le leopard print. I love it. Uh -huh. 
And I've got, you know, some guitars here around me. This is a guitar uh, that has been signed by just about every single one of my heroes. I got Dolly Parton and Emmylou Harris and Chris Christopherson, Willie Nelson, um, Tanya Tucker, Bobby Bear. There's a lot of, there's a lot of people that signed that guitar. That's amazing. I, I think, um, you know, piano was my first love and I, I still love to write on it. Um, when I'm home and the house is empty, I, I sit down at the piano, but I'm most confident on the guitar for sure. <laughs> is that what you write most of your songs for? Do you start with an instrument on when songwriting? Sometimes, you know, I think um, songs are really mysterious in the way that they that they come to you. And so some songs I sit down and I have a melody first or other songs, um, just the melody will come to me if I'm out in nature. I'll, I like to go take lots of like runs in the woods by myself or with my dogs and um sometimes a melody will just kind of come into your head and then you have to go find the what chords it is later. And then when my husband and I co-write, then uh, songs are being talked out loud and the guitars are being passed. And yeah, they're all kind of different. They're all special in their own way. Yeah, for sure. Um, you have some amazing duet partners on Strays. Mike Campbell from Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Sharon Van Etten, Lucius. And you have legends on other albums as well. Emmylou Harris, Jack White, Willie Nelson. I mean, what is it like to play with those people? Um, it is surreal. And, you know, not a second goes by where I don't realize just how how lucky I am to be able to play music for a living. I never thought that it was going to take off. I mean, you know, when I was young, I did, but then as the years wore on and I just kind of kept getting sucked into bad label deals or, you know, just working with uh, managers that had empty promises and couldn't get labels to sign me, couldn't get producers to work with me, couldn't get managers. So now it is very surreal to be like, having Thanksgiving with Willie Nelson and just sitting at the table telling jokes with him. And it's very wild. It's a wild You've dream. had Thanksgiving with Willie Nelson. <laughs> yes. That's amazing. <laughs> this this last uh, Thanksgiving, we went to Maui, went to Hawaii for the first time and, uh, and his wife, Annie invited us over and yeah, we had a really wonderful holiday. That is so cool. <laughs> Um, do you have any dream collaborators? So, I mean, you've worked with all of those legends and is there anybody else? I mean, after Willie, who else would you, who else is out there? Um, but do you have any dream collaborators? And then also like what happens after you work with somebody like Willie Nelson? Are you just like, that's it. I'm done. (laughs) Nobody else that I, I've, I've done it all. I always am am up to sing harmonies with people. I I love that, you know, Emmylou Harris was just so good at kind of adding what she did to all sorts of different projects, like, um, you know, her working with everybody from Bob Dylan, Gillian Welch. It's like, um, I would love to, in the future, I would love to work with Stevie Nicks. I think she's um, just got a really incredible, distinct voice. 
I have really had the opportunity to work with so many, so many wonderful folks. Like uh, I was going to uh, do this song with Ronnie Spector. We kind of became pen pals and um, I wrote this song with my husband, Jeremy, and we thought that she would sound great on it. And then she, she passed away um, before she could get into the studio. And, and then I ended up reaching out to Mavis Staples who's just like such a hero of mine. And, and so she, she sang on this song and, uh, and my friend Adia is a song called fight to make it. We donated um, the money to reproductive rights and uh, put it out via Bandcamp for a while. It's still on there. Yeah. Stuff like that is really what, um, what kind of keeps me going. And it's really wild. You are such an activist too. I love that. And I love so many of your songs um, are about women's rights. Like, and I think women's voices are just starting to be heard again in country music. And, you know, you have songs, Wild Women and Pay Gap, and you write what I think of as progressive country music. Um, and it's not what has historically been associated with the genre, but I think it's, there's a new move, movement, if you will, of um, artists coming to play more progressive lyrics and stuff. And I think um, there's definitely a space for it. And I think it's going to bring a newer generation of fans too. Yes. I, I think for years, women have been trying to tell their stories and they have very slyly been doing so. I mean, you know, Loretta Lynn, she was such a, uh, a rule breaker and she really broke a lot of doors down. And I think over time, you know, there's been waves of, um, just good real music and um you know stories of the people but for years country music has kind of quietly shut out black voices um just people of color people with different points of view and definitely um women's voices have have been marginalized and we've been silently um banned from the radio waves. And especially if you, if you talk about, um, the cracks inside the system, I think, um, you know, we're making some noise and I think that there's some of the best, um, voices out there finally being heard and it's becoming more diverse. And I really have to thank the Americana Music Association for also, you know, supporting, you know, voices, even like Brandy Carlisle. And, you know, there's a lot other uh, artists that we need to be hearing from out there that need to be heard. It seems like also such an inclusive uh, group of folks too. Like, I mean, you guys all duet with each other and people always bringing each other on tour and kind of giving each other a platform and space to perform as well, which I think is so important and um, just so helpful to get other people's voices out there too. There, I know people have been performing for decades and are, you know, just now coming to more of the um, forefront of the genre. For sure. I, I think that you know, with what tech companies and streaming companies, it's it's important that we stick together as artists because um, it's really, it is a really difficult business. And, uh, you know, I think COVID and the pandemic really just um, shined a light on a lot of the things that need to change because touring is our well-being and it's, it's hard to get... Um, recognized as a writer it's hard to get paid for your writing and for your songs just because of the internet and how music has kind of been devalued and and art and literature and all and all the good things in the world 
Yeah. Um, it's so interesting though, because I was just going to comment on the internet and that's true that it does make it so accessible that then you're not making the earnings that new tip that historically artists have been making. But it, I think that's also how some of the more marginalized artists are able to be discovered too, and kind of push their way forward is through the internet. And you can find all of those people that you would really have to search in the very back of music stores for before. So that's super cool to see that coming too. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword with, you know, it's, there's a lot of things about it that are great. And there's a lot of things about it that are challenging. Yeah. <laughs> with great power comes great responsibility, but we haven't figured out the responsibility part yet. Totally. It's a little too new. Hopefully we'll figure it out in the next yes. little while. In your book, you talk about creating a persona named John Sirota and um, to manage you. And you immediately got more bookings because it was a man reaching out. Isn't that just so, I mean, it's not surprising, but so surprising. Um, can you speak to that? Definitely. Um, you have to, you have to work. What is the, what is the term? You have to work smarter, not harder. And mm -hmm. that was kind of one of those moments this one of those epiphanies that I realized if I wanted to be taken seriously I needed representation and who better than to do it than um, a man who doesn't exist who's really me so perfect <laughs> yeah it was the perfect decoy and we had um we really made uh, a convincing argument for our band and we were able to open more doors I mean it wasn't I wasn't making a living at it, but it was, it was a step in the right direction. Um, it's so interesting because you worked really, really hard. I mean, in your book, it states from when you started and how you toured and you guys really just dug in, paid your dues and really, really went for it. And I think that it's so interesting because there are artists who are no less talented. This isn't a knock on their talent, but they kind of get discovered. I mean, when they're like 20, 21 years old, and then they go and they sell out mega arenas and that's cool. But I think there's something to be said for artists such as yourself that really you, you've made all these connections, you know, all these people in the music business, you're there for the music, not for, I mean, the attention's great, but it's, I think it's just shows like it's a true passion rather than wanting to be famous. It's like, I have to do this thing. Yeah. It's easy to um, get focused on the wrong thing nowadays. And I feel very lucky that I grew up in a time where there wasn't social media and just kind of how that affects your brain into thinking that, you know, if you don't have X amount of likes that, you know, you're not popular. Um, really, we have made um, music and, and art in a lot of ways, just kind of like a sport. Um, and, you know, I, I think that probably TikTok and a lot of these like, um, singing competitions it's uh it's just a different way to kind of get famous but I don't want to just be known as someone who has like a an incredible voice or, or is just this like a you know karaoke singer like doing other people's songs or something I'm working really hard to um to stay grounded and I think that I think it's difficult I I, I really worry about kids growing up today <laughs> um, I think it's also interesting reading about your um, evolution as a songwriter because you spoke a little bit about 
you know, your early songs not being so great um, and kind of getting feedback on them. And I think that's so comforting to people trying to be songwriters because it's so easy to be like, they're so good and all we hear is the good stuff. <laughs> so I think it's always really beneficial for people to hear. It took you a long time, if that's fair to say. And, um, and, and you worked really hard at it. Yeah, it took me a long time to find my voice. I mean, I was impersonating other people that I hear, but I think that's, you know, that's how we learn. And there's going to be very few people that are just like genius from the start. You know, it's like a muscle that you have to exercise. I think, you know, whether you're writing novels or whether you're writing songs or, I mean, who just picks up a paintbrush and can paint immediately? You know, you have to work at it. You do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's so funny. I think it does come I mean, and you definitely have to have an affinity for it, you know, obviously. Um, but it's so funny. My mom's a very talented musician and she is a great songwriter too. And I think her brain just works that way because there was one time I was talking to her about something and and she was like, well, Allie, have you written a song about it? And I was like, that's not something normal people do. I do. Of course, I didn't write a song about it. <laughs> but for people who it's an outlet for, it's just so obvious. For sure. I think... I, I wish more people just did write poems and write songs because I think it's such a good way to process things. And, you know, we have, when I was a kid, there were lots of uh, music and art programs still, but I remember them slowly, the funding getting taken away from them. And it's like, you know, we get so in our head um, about, is this good or not? But it's, music does something to your brain that no other hobby can when you actually see someone playing music, playing and singing it at the same time too, it's activates every single part of your brain. I think more than any other activity. So it's, I think that you should write a song. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that I know I don't have to be perfect at it from the get go, <laughs> maybe I'll try a little bit more, but it's true about music because I think it's also um, so cool because it is, there's something for every person. I mean, just like with any art form, but music is so immediate, like whatever mood you're in, you, there's a song for it. And whether you need classical or if you need to rage and just scream and, or what, whatever mood and you can dance it out or you can cry to it or anything in that immediate moment. And I, I just, it's so powerful. Being an active listener is, um, is an art form that's also, you know, kind of dissipating. And I, feel like it's so cathartic to just put on a sad song and and just get it all out. I totally agree. On repeat sometimes. <laughs> on repeat. That's right. People listen to sad songs more. So that's true. Yeah. Um so you've done music on your terms. You wouldn't change your sound when approached by a big record label. You wouldn't be mega produced. And still you're touring a whole lot and you've gotten a Grammy nomination and you seem to still be doing it on your terms. Is that validating to know that that worked out? Yeah, I, you know, I've had people along the way try to convince me to do things that I didn't feel right about. And, you know, that's that still happens. People around me have suggestions for my work and and my art and um I just have to really uh, choose my battles and stand my ground, but it's a lot easier to do that because that is how I got my foot in the door. Mm -hmm. And, you know, third man kind of gave me this like all accepting, um, love me for who I am, love the songs, didn't want me to change anything. And so that was really kind of the start of um, 
validating where my heart had been all along. Um, I imagine that for a performer, you daydream about what it would be like to get the call that you were nominated for a Grammy. Um, but what is it like to actually get the call? And I don't mean like, what did you do that morning? How did you react? But I mean, like now you have your career in front of you as a Grammy nominated performer. Does that, I mean, it's got to be kind of like du- duetting with those legends. Does it change your perception or your experience? I don't think about it a lot. I definitely wasn't expecting it the morning um that I got that call I just had slept in and um I was in the studio making my uh that's how rumors get started record and I had all these like missed calls and text messages my phone was like blowing up I thought somebody died <laughs> sure and then um you know it's it's kind of like anything else in life where it's like you get this big like rush of of dopamine and endorphins and like great feelings and um as time goes on and you know it it with all the high highs also come great lows and so you know you get nominated for a grammy and then you lose the grammy and you go to the grammys and uh you're pregnant and you don't get to perform i always look at the people who didn't get Grammys for great records like Bob Dylan, Blood on the Tracks, classic album, didn't get a Grammy. Joni mm-hmm. Mitchell, Blue, did not get a Grammy. And then years later, they give her a Grammy for something else, you know. So it's um it's something that I that I like to try to not think about too much because it comes with all these like these different waves of emotion for sure. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely see that. Um. Writing songs can be so personal. Um, when you perform songs from a specific time, whether it's good or bad, can it be hard to perform it for an audience? Definitely, depending on the emotional and mental state that you're just in anyway. Mm-hmm. Sometimes uh, lyrics or, or songs that I've written, um, they can they can hit you out of left field and kind of catch you off guard or you know, I've been singing hands of time for a really, really long time. And every now and then it will kind of be like a a vacuum of your emotions where you kind of get sucked into it. Um, We've been doing this um, unreleased song. Well, you know, it's on the upcoming album, but it's a song called County Road. And um, it's about a friend of ours who we lost uh, much too young. And uh, it was kind of a tragic way that, that he left us. And so I have to disassociate a little bit because um, if I really think about the words and what it means to me and kind of that whole time period, I'll get really sad and then I'll, I won't hit the notes right and I'll almost be crying and, and look like a mess. So, so sometimes I have to just kind of close my eyes and just focus on like delivering with emotion, but not with so much emotion that I end up curled up on a ball on the stage. (laughs) Sure. That makes total sense too. So you moved to Nashville when you were 20 and you just kind of went for it. (laughs) Can you believe it? Can you look back and think of that young woman and what that was like? And what would you say to her? I would tell her to hold on for dear life because it's going to be a wild ride. It really does kind of seem like I'm just looking back on a completely different person because I've been here for almost two decades. And, um, you know, while it went really fast, um, it also was slow. And I don't know if I went back 
and I knew everything that was going to happen. It would, I'm glad I didn't know because, you know, it, it protects, it protected me from a lot of heartache. Um, but I, I feel excited about where I'm at. I feel like I'm finally in a good mental state. Um, I kind of thought that when, once my music took off, that everything was just going to be smooth sailing and, um, and it kind of wasn't the case. It was really turbulent. So now on the, on the backside of, um, of everything, I feel like I'm, I'm finally feeling healthy (laughs) in my mind. Do you ever feel like you're waiting for your real life to begin? (laughs) Like I think back on my life and I, I mean, not that I'm a a famous singer, but um, like I live in New York city and crazy things happen here, good and bad too. And sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm going to now go have my real life. (laughs) I wish I would have lived in New York city before I had kids and settled down. That is like one of my, one of my goals for sure. um, At some point in my life, I like to try to be really excited about the present because sometimes you think that things are like in, in the bad times or in this, in this not, uh, settled place. But then once that's gone, you're longing for that. So I really try to, to soak it in, but yeah, it's it can be hard. Yeah. One thing I love about you is you're very unassuming. And then, um, on your live record, you'll yell out, I wrote this while I was in the Davidson County jail. <laughs> it's like, who is this girl? <laughs> you have some wild stories for sure. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I am pretty um unfiltered and I ha- I do try to think about what I'm saying because sometimes the way that I am will get the best of me if that makes sense. Yeah, but, but it's um, also very endearing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope so because for a long time I really I held a lot back and you know, even for my family and friends, like people just didn't know what I was dealing with because I was really embarrassed of it. But I think when you can look back with some humor and, and, and laugh about your mistakes, um, and, and most importantly, learn from them, you're going to feel a lot better once you get it off your chest. It's hard to hold everything in and pretend like it's, it's perfect when it's not. So in your book, I I read your book and I understand what was going on in your life when you were in jail for the weekend and, um, you were reacting to something so deeply devastating. Would you be open to talking about Ezra and your experience? Yeah, I think that so many women, um, you know, go through what I went through, actually so many, you know, just so many parents in general, and it's still taboo to kind of talk about, um, about loss sometimes. And I think that if our culture was really just more open with with death and um with our birth stories i think that um it would help a lot of people i totally agree and i um it's such a a hard thing to go through that i also think you can't understand until you go through a loss and then it's like you're part of a club <laughs> and then it's easier to talk about it with people like that but it's hard to talk about it i think because as a society we're not so clued into all of that stuff for sure. I mean, even just uh, postpartum depression and yeah, what childbirth and the American healthcare system. <laughs> I was in a really dark place after losing my son. And I was worried about the stigma of getting therapy. I I tried to go a little bit 
when I was really, really struggling, I, I went just a couple times and I just lied to my therapist the whole time. And um, just recently, over the past like year and a half, I have been doing therapy for the first time in my life. And uh, it's just funny how like, I think my my folks generation, um, you just don't want to go to therapy because that must mean that there is something wrong with you. And I... I really am enjoying talking about it all out loud um, just because I don't think that people need to need to live that way. Um, there were times where I definitely probably should have been medicated and I should have been going to support groups. I should have had something, uh, some kind of aid to help me get through that. But instead, I was just self-medicating. I was just like numbing everything and and pushing it all down. And I'm still kind of just processing a lot of that because I, I I quit drinking. So now I'm just kind of really learning to to feel a lot of feelings that um, I just thought that I sh- shouldn't even have, you know. It's oh, interesting therapy and mental health and all that because there ha- there's a point where you also where one has to also be ready to go. And you can only receive that stuff when you're ready. So once our society gets better with accepting that and and being open to it, I think it will be easier, but it's, we have to give ourselves grace when, when we're not ready to go. And then there's a time that we are, and it's never too late. Exactly. That's what I keep telling my mother. (laughs) (laughs) I'm 70. I can't go to therapy. You can. Anybody can go. <laughs> the last song on Strays is Landfill. And I find it to be an extremely reflective song. And it also, it reminds me of Landslide by Fleetwood Mac and how that one's a little bit of a reflective song. Um, and there are a few lines that stood out to me. And the first one is, no one tells you when you're young, you have so much time, you have so much to lose until you see it slip through your hands. We're similar ages. I think you're just a couple months younger than me. And I've been reflecting on age and life a lot as I entered this new decade. And this line really stood out to me. Yeah, I know. It's um, time just starts moving quicker and quicker when you have less of it left. And um, I think everybody eventually goes through trials, hard times, loss um, when you are getting older. And, and that is kind of one thing that I have, um, really been grateful for is just that perspective. And I think that, um, my loss really changed me and the fact that it gave me a lot of compassion. And of course I, I wish that it didn't happen, but I know that, you know, everything, everything happens for a reason and, and I'm grateful, um, for what it taught me. Um, the other line that I, that I really, that really stuck out to me in that song is I put myself in my own painting. You know, the pictures are always changing. And it sounds to me like a little bit like you're able to put yourself first and giving yourself some grace after the last couple of decades. (laughs) Is that that all true? (laughs) I like that perspective. I was just like, uh, kind of when my husband and I wrote that, like on this beach and it was kind of, when I wrote that line, I was kind of thinking about um, songwriting and storytelling and how you can like paint yourself in any way that you want. Um, but I love, I always love hearing what 
where other people pull from. Does it bother you? I mean, because I mean, I guess when you're a songwriter, you put it out there. And so everybody's going to have a different uh, perception of your lyrics. Does it do you appreciate truly other people's <laughs> perception? Oh, for sure. I think, you know, Willie Nelson, he does not tell anybody what his songs are about or what the lines are about because he wants other people to interpret it in the way. And then that's what I think makes um, art really powerful is that like everybody kind of has this different association to different words and experiences. And, um, and I've, I've actually keep telling myself, I'm like, I'm not going to talk about what this line is about or what this line is about. Cause I do want other people to just find their own meaning, find their own truth with it. I think it's nice. And it's a cool thing to share with other people and pass along to your friends and, you know, when they're going through a hard time, I send people songs. I'm like, this song, listen to it. It'll help you, I think. Same. I grew up singing and I come from a very musical family, as I mentioned, but I don't do so much with it now and I do miss it. But for you, it seems like this was the only thing that you were destined to do, that you wanted to do. What is it like to not have anything else in mind? got rid of your TV. You guys sold your car to make it happen. I mean, you guys really, you and your husband really were like, this is what we're going to do. It's amazing to have that much focus. And, and you said earlier, you know, it really, you guys got taken advantage of and got hooked up with the wrong people. And, and you guys really had to work hard for it. What is it? I mean, you got at any point, it could so easily have been you guys saying we're out. See ya, <laughs> but you just had it in you. Well, I think that there's um, also some kind of like insanity in that, you know, and I think that that's like one of the things that I've realized about my personality that is both a skill and also a little bit self-destructive because I will do things that um, maybe isn't is not the smartest idea, but I just can't help it. And it really was like, um, just this like addiction, it, it, you know, it fed our souls. And, you know, of course there was times where I thought like, oh my gosh, like I need a backup plan. And I had like, at one point bought a bunch of cameras and like film cameras. And I thought maybe I'll be a photographer, you know, or, but I just, I wasn't very good. I couldn't ever get the light right. (laughs) It was blurry and I was wasting It was wasting the film. So really, it was just kind of because that was all I could do well was really just sing. That was it. It's so funny that your backup was going to be something else creative, though. You clearly were on a creative path of some sort. That was what you were destined for. Yeah, I mean, and I loved teaching dance lessons to young Mm -hmm. kids as well, because that was creative. You know, working the the waitressing and the other jobs that I had to kind of take in the meantime, like I, the interior painting and stuff, like that's creative as well. But it's also really hard work. The, in the waitressing, that that was not quite as soul fulfilling, but it was more soul sucking. But, uh, but it was <laughs> good creative, <laughs> and I was good at it. I was creative about how to get the best tips out of people by kissing their ass. <laughs> I do think that's one job that everybody should have though in their life because man, it gives you such a perspective on humans. <laughs> yes. 100%. Talk about compassion. <laughs> Who was your first concert? My first concert, I actually went to Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers with my parents. I also went to the state fair and 
there was like a, I think Trisha Yearwood played. I also went to the county fair. These are a couple of my very first memories of concerts. Mm -hmm. Um, Just the the local county fair that was really small. And uh, there was a a 90s country artist named Susie Boggess that Mm -hmm. had taken off. She had hit it big and she was from my town and and she sang at my mom and dad's wedding. And so we went and saw her um, play, which was just really cool to see some, someone from my hometown that like did have songs on the radio and, and was touring and, and doing it right. How cool is it that one of your first concerts now you're on recording with him? Oh, with Mike Campbell. And yeah. I mean, I feel like I was I was very close to maybe getting to like meet Tom Petty and and being able to work and record with Mike has just been such a masterclass in songwriting because Mike Campbell like co-wrote so many of those heartbreaker songs. He's a genius when it comes to songwriting and one of the best guitar players like that is alive right now. I mean, he he played with George Harrison. Uh, he really has a well-rounded um, education in music and and just getting to like work with him and and pick his brain a little bit has been very surreal after, you know, growing up and hearing like Mary Jane's last dance on the radio. Yeah, that's super cool. Is it weird to think that you're someone's first concert? It is. <laughs> yeah. I I love that though. I always am like happy to sign things for people. And when I see young kids, I try to make sure that, you know, I throw roses at the end of my show. Um, that's been one of my, one of my signatures. And, uh, whenever I see young kids there, I always try to send them a little, a little piece of something, whether it's like some drumsticks or a guitar pick or set list. That's really cool. What a cool experience for them. Do you have an all-time favorite song? All-time favorite song. Um, in the past, I have said Bob Dylan like a Rolling Stone because I think that it's it's got depth, but it's also like uh, one of the best pop songs. And it's pretty wild to think that a song like that could be massive on the radio when you listen to the radio today. That one for me is pretty much like the holy grail of songs. And Bob Dylan is uh, is definitely my favorite writer yeah. of all time. Yeah, that's awesome. What's next for you? I know you're kicking off a tour, coming to Webster Hall in New York in March. I will be there. Um, <laughs> what What else? What can we expect from Margo after this record? Well, I have been very excited to tour after, you know, 2018 was the last time that I did a headlining tour. So that was pretty incredible to be able to get back on the road with my band. And, and I can't wait to see you at Webster Hall. Please come say hi. I will. I will. I'm so excited. Yes. And uh, I am working on a couple movie soundtracks right now. Um, Wrote some songs for this um, indie film that is going to be coming out. I'm really excited about. I might dip my toe into a little bit of acting. We'll see. Um, I've been working with a a friend who's writing a script. And uh, so that's been exciting. But um, I also just can't wait to 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 play more throughout the year, to go uh, to Europe, play festivals. Yeah, everything is is coming back, and it kind of feels like starting over. Um, yeah, after four after years the- to make up for. <laughs>
Absolutely. But I'm, I'm coming back like a, like Tina Turner. Yeah. It's awesome. Well, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, really appreciate you talking with us. Congrats on the new album. Good luck touring. Have a great time. And um, I can't wait to see you. It'll be great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Poured Over is a Barnes & Noble production. To help other readers find us, please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts.